0: Sixteen centuries ago, the Roman Empire was falling apart. Some of the empire was Christian, but there were still many pagans around, and when they saw the system crashing, they blamed the Christians for what was happening. They claimed that Rome had thrived when the pagan gods were appeased by sacrifices, but now that these God-denying Christians had come on the scene, the gods were pouring out their wrath upon Rome. Christians at the time felt very self conscious about these accusations. They worried that God had failed to do his job. Rome wasn't supposed to fall as long as it was Christian. Their God hadn't protected the empire from falling. A African bishop named Augustine had to navigate this terrible crisis. On the one hand, he had to explain to his pagan neighbors that the fall of rome didn't make christianity false or paganism true and he also had to explain to christians that the fall of rome didn't tarnish god's character god is perfect and just in all of his ways and so in order to navigate that tension he wrote one of the most famous books in western civilization called the city of god and the basic idea is that the city of man is not our ultimate home We live according to our citizenship in heaven. Ultimately, the fall of Rome didn't say anything about God. It was a time of testing for God's people. Now, you might think that ancient history uh, might be interesting to someone else, but what in the world does it have to do with us today? The bottom line is that many of us are worried that our country is falling apart. I read people over all the whole ideological spectrum who are worried that our country is not going to last. And you may think, well that's the fault of Christians. They've downplayed evil, covered up evil, sometimes they've brazenly stood for evil causes. Christians, hypocritical Christians are at fault. You might think that this is the fault of a secular culture which corrodes faith and has raised generations to be consumeristic and spoiled. You may have a number of other theories about why our country is so divided. But I want us to stand back a little bit. I want us to try and view this time in a different light. Ask yourself this question. Could it be that God is testing God's people? Now, if you're not a Christian, I know your first reaction might be, this is exactly why I have no interest in Jesus or the church, because in the worst of times, Christians say that their God is giving us a divine quiz. If he is, he's cruel. Is God so callous that he thinks a divided country is his version of a standardized test? If you are a Christian, you might feel uncomfortable for a different reason, because you know passages in the Bible that say that God doesn't tempt us, God is perfect. He wouldn't ever want us to disobey him. And I completely agree, which is why I want us to think of that phrase, a time of testing, in a different light, because I think it really sheds light on our situation and will help us navigate the difficulties we face today. Now, I don't bring up this topic out of nowhere. The passage we read today contains a test. For the past two weeks, we've been in a series on the Gospel of John called Come and See. In the first half of John's Gospel, Jesus performs seven signs or seven miracles, and those miracles aren't just to show the power of Jesus, what he's able to do. They show the identity of Jesus, who he is, how he thinks, what he intends for us, and his way of life. And so in this story read to us from chapter 4, we see that Jesus heals a man's son. If you've read any of the Gospels, that event isn't very surprising, but there's so much more in this short story. The conversation leading up to the healing is as important as the healing itself. So let's go back, reread this story, and look for Christ's test of the royal official. In verse 43, we read, after the two after two days Jesus left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Now, if you're not familiar with the terrain, Galilee is in the northern part of Israel, what might be thought of as the backwoods or the flyover country. And Jerusalem was the big city in the south where important people and events take place. And Jesus grew up in the middle of nowhere in a small town called Nazareth, which was up north in Galilee. So he's coming home. He's coming to his hometown. And John makes this comment about what happens to prophets. He says that they have no honor in their own country. This idea is based in the fact that Jewish prophets like Jeremiah and others were rejected and hated by their own people. John is saying that this fate welcomes every prophet, and because Jesus is a prophet, he should expect that kind of welcome. And at first, it kind of seems like a contradiction because the Galileans welcomed Jesus, but it's only superficial. They had seen the miracles and signs and wonders he had performed, and they just wanted more entertainment. They were looking for spectacle. They wanted to be impressed by fireworks. They were treating Jesus like a magician, a miracle worker, and there was nothing deeper there. So when Jesus shows up though, his reputation precedes him. A royal official who goes unnamed throughout the story simply heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee, drops everything he's doing, journeys about 17 miles to find Jesus, and he goes straight to him, and he begs Jesus to heal his son. That same Greek word for begs is used about a Gentile woman in Mark's gospel who begs Jesus to drive a demon out of her daughter. Clearly, there's a tone of desperation. You can imagine this man falling on his knees in front of Jesus and putting his hands together and saying, Please, Jesus, heal my son. And Jesus says, as we'd expect him to say, You have incredible faith. You came all this way because you've heard that I can heal. Let me come to your home immediately. I will heal your son as soon as I get there. That's not what Jesus says. Because this story is way more complicated. In verse 48, Jesus actually says, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. It's not uncommon to read the Gospels and feel very offended by Jesus. I mean, what is Jesus saying here? What does he mean by you people? Why is it so wrong for this man to ask for healing for his son? What kind of crazy person wouldn't ask for a healer to save his son's life? And if Jesus knows he's eventually going to heal the son, then why can't he just skip this rude question and go straight to the healing? You see, this is why the conversation leading up to the healing is as important as the healing itself, because this is a test. Christ provokes the official through a hard truth. Christ says, look, what the people want, what the crowds want is a show of my power. They want to be impressed by what I can do, but they do not want to know me. And in that statement, Jesus is asking him a question. He's saying, do you want what the crowds want? Are you just like them? If I push back on you, if I make you wait, if I take time to talk with you, will you back away because you don't really want the healing? Or will you contend with me? These crowds, they're just fans. They're spectators. Do you really want healing? And the royal official repeats himself, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. The man leaves, and while he's still on his way home, his servants meet him with the news that his boy is alive and well. And I love the fact that the official checks to see the details of the healing he asks his servants when his son was healed and the servants say well as a matter of fact it was yesterday at one in the afternoon and that's when the dad knows that's exactly when jesus said he'd be healed so he and his household believes and we're told in the last verse of this section this was the second sign jesus performed after coming from judea to galilee I think that this is a test, because it looks like the other test that Jesus gives in the Gospels. The Gentile woman in Mark chapter 7 who asked Jesus to heal her daughter also got a test from Jesus. He says to her, hey, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And she replies, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus says, for such a reply... You may go, the demon has left your daughter. This is a Gentile asking for healing. Jesus tests that Gentile, and then she contends with him. She passes the test, and he heals her child from a distance. That's exactly what happens in John chapter He persists with Jesus. He begs Jesus to heal his son. Jesus pushes back and says, are you like the crowds? And the official shows that he is not like the crowds. He doesn't just want a sign. He wants his son back. Alive and well. Just like Jacob wrestled with God, this royal official wrestles with Jesus. And you might think, Well, that's just two stories in all of the New Testament. This is not a thing that God does, except for the fact that God tests his people throughout the Bible. God tests Abraham to be willing to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. God tests Job with great difficulties. God tests Daniel and his friends when they face the fiery furnace. God tests Paul on all of his missionary endeavors, and he doesn't just test individuals, he tests his whole people as a community. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we read, remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. I know it may sound strange, but King David at one point in Psalm 26 says, Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind. And here's the thing about God's test it may sound like bad news at first, because we know that we often fail. If you're not a Christian, you may think, Well, Mitch, that kind of sounds like a pretty bad sales pitch. And you're right. If you become a Christian, God will put you through the ringer. Ask any Christian who has followed Jesus for some time, and they will tell you stories of unbelievable difficulty. Times when marriages were on the brink, children were sick, depression had set in, loneliness festered, a brutal responsibility was put on their shoulders. And if you ask that same Christian what God did, they will tell you that God used that time of testing. Because that's what God's tests are for. They are not to fail you. They are there to form you. He doesn't test us in the way some cruel professor would set you up to fail. He's the best kind of teacher. He tests you in order to refine you. In Proverbs 17, we read the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. His tests are a refining fire for your character to be purified. And that's actually what happens in John 4. The royal official becomes the kind of man who is persistent with the Lord. And that's what God wants. God doesn't want weak spines or wallowing self-pity that buckles at the first provocation. When Christ asked the royal official, hey, are you just like the crowds? It is right for the official to be persistent and say, no, I'm not. I want you to heal my son. And if you say he's healed, I will take you at your word. Now, God's testing doesn't just happen in the Bible. Think of all the other times in church history when God puts his people through times of testing to show their moral fiber. Think of the first Jewish Christians who were kicked out of the synagogues. Think of the Russian Orthodox Christians under the Soviets being persecuted. Think of the black Christians in the civil rights movement in the 1960s. I'm not trying to romanticize any of that persecution. God didn't want any of that injustice, but he used those times to transform his people into living models of Christ in our world. That's what God's times of testing are for, that's why they're ultimately good news. It shows us that God can transform us into the image of Christ. God doesn't take it easy on his people. He doesn't exempt us from trials. He doesn't leave us immature and inexperienced. I started reading Les Mis by Victor Hugo this week and the story begins with this incredible Catholic bishop who is so selfless and he loves the poor. And when I was reading About this character, I just thought, well, no one is that much like Jesus. And when I thought that, and when we think that way, what we're doing is downplaying God's ability to transform us. The question is, can God really make us like Christ? And He has decided that through times of testing, He can and does. Because God puts us through the ringer. Because God tests us. Because he even provokes us with hard truths. He forms us to be and act and think like Jesus. Let's rewind a second and go back to Augustine at the fall of the Roman Empire. Augustine could have been convinced by his pagan neighbors He could have said that God had failed him. He could have been disappointed in God for not protecting the empire. He could have left the faith entirely. On the other extreme, Augustine could have pretended that the church had no real issues and every problem in the world was some pagan's fault. But instead, he maintained the goodness of God in hard times, and he challenged the church to return to holy ways of living, and that's the path we should follow today. One of the things that I do most often is I read about something crazy that happens in the news, and I say and think, at least I'm not like them. And that is one of the laziest postures we could possibly take. We should not have smug satisfaction that we are not like the bad people who are ruining this country. Instead, we should take the path that Augustine took. We should ask, what is God up to in this time of testing? What is this time revealing about our character, our vices, our shortcomings, our failures, and our sin? What in our life needs to change? Because even if we prayed for a miraculous healing of our country, what if Jesus said back to us, all you people want is signs and wonders. You won't believe unless a miracle happens. The question for us is, would we persist in prayer? Would we contend with Christ like the royal official? Because I don't know if Christ will heal the wounds in our country. That is his decision and not mine. But these times are testing us. God can use these times to transform us into the image of Christ. But times of testing are difficult. But the good news is that God doesn't test us in order to fail us. He tests us in order to refine us.